You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. It's so good to be with you. I have a really neat guest today whose story I learned about about a year ago. He's a native to Lithuania, now living here in the United States. And this interview is really one of his last kind of um, more public interactions because he's recently received permission from his religious order to live as a hermit with a community of St. John in the mountains in Colorado. My guest today is Father Francis of the Child Jesus, who is a member of the community of St. John, a religious order based out of France. And in fact, just this year, he released a book that is absolutely riveting for those who love any work within the realm of fantasy and Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. He wrote the book, The Theological Landscape of Middle Earth. Welcome, Father Francis. Hello, Stimari. Hello to all the listeners. It's wonderful to have you in studio. There's so much I look forward to unpacking from your conversion to the Catholic faith and just how truth reigned in your life and your involvement as a very, very young teenager in the Baltic chain there in Lithuania. So much to unpack, but I'd like to start by talking about this book. Uh, I and I know many of our listeners here are absolutely in love with fantasy, and there's this kind of realm of diving into the realm of books and how for some it can lead to a deeper sense of imagination and faith, but for others it can lead them to escape into nothingness and distress. Action. Can you talk about how your love for Tolkien and kind of where this book came from and its tie-in to distraction versus faith in the reading world? Yeah, so I think the first thing which is important to understand that is fantasy and fantasy. Fantasy, which leads to faith, is the one which always contains what Tolkien used to call eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe is a term coined by Tolkien himself, and it means an unexpected intervention of, of good in, in, in a despairing situation, basically we can say a happy ending. And so such a catastrophe, such a fantasy always needs to have what Tolkien called a catastrophe. And then it needs also uh, to have these uh, archetypal uh, patterns which existed in all fairy tales since the immemorable times, where the good and evil in, in, in the hard um, fight, engaging in a hard fight, um, always um, brings victory to the one who is heroic, the one who sacrifices himself for others, uh, the one who actually believes that the good can overcome evil. And the fantasy which does not have these characteristics, actually it can lead even to a nihilism or, or even despair. So I am talking in this book um, specifically on the fantasy as, as Tolkien understood and conceived in his creation. 
Well, it's such a neat example because what you're saying is if you're looking to a story to escape into in the end is kind of a, a really despair if you don't have good versus evil. But if there is good versus evil, as you're talking about this term really kind of coined by Tolkien, it leads you to unexpected intervention. And I see how so many people see themselves in the characters of Lord of the Ring, and it leads them to ponder and have that type of intervention in their own lives and question their motives, wouldn't you say? Yeah, actually, I think everyone who who believes and prays uh, have experienced at least once in their lifetime, that there are situations which seem to be so despairing and without issue, and then all of a sudden there comes a solution, um, some incredible intervention that we uh, faithful actually uh, term by intervention of, of divine um, providence or of angels and saints. And this corresponds to this catastrophe in, in Tolkien's uh, fantasy. Can you explain it to us? You talk a lot about the theology of fantasy. How does this go further, and how do you begin to kind of dive into this in your book, The Theological Landscape of Middle-Earth? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, we need to understand that theology um, is a reasonable talk uh, on God and everything which is related to God, is creation, especially man, as the summit of, of the visible creation in, in, in the universe. And on the other uh, hand, fantasy is not uh, just a genre, as usually people think, uh, like imagining uh, beautiful but impossible things. Uh, for Tolkien, fantasy was, first of all, a creative and perceptive power in, in the human being. What maybe could be called as like creative and perceptive imagination. Mm -hmm. uh, it is by means of this faculty that we are able to create, whatever, whatever it might be, liter uh, literature or music or uh, paintings, anything. And so this power of creation is, according to Tolkien, uh, fantasy. And so theology of fantasy uh, look, looks into man as an image and resemblance of God, the Creator, accomplishing in his own life what God accomplished by creating the universe and creating us. It is like the reflect uh, of this image and resemblance of God who is creator in our own uh, human life. Um, I mean, first of all, this creative life, uh, able to create beauty, which leads to, to good and to truth. The ability to create is so deeply ingrained on the human heart. We are made in the image and likeness of our creator, and we too are called to engage in that creative act, whether it's the generation of new human life, the ideas and thoughts that we create, and even just cultivating and growing the earth. You know, you look at Adam and Eve as they're placed in the garden. One of the first things that Adam is called into is to till and keep the garden, to have this cultivating act that he's leading to. For those for just joining us. My guest today is Father Francis of the Child Jesus. He wrote the book, The Theological Landscape of Middle Earth, and we're diving into everything from fantasy, his book, his life conversion story, and his involvement in the Baltic chain. So much more. Father, can you talk about what this idea of myth is and how it plays such an important role, not just in the realm of fantasy, but in the Catholic tradition? 
Yeah, so I think the first of all, we need to uh, realize that uh, um, most of the times when people hear the word myth, they understand it in the sense what Max Muller used to understand, that it's just a beautiful life. It was a perception of C.S. Lewis as well before his conversion, um, before this decisive talk or talking his friend about myth's reality uh, and, and myth's um, role in, in the religion, including in, in Christian faith. So the myth actually um, is... Um, uh, not at all beautiful eyes, as understands Max Miller, but rather the way to convey truths that would not be um, possible to express otherwise. It's the deepest uh, means, it's the means to, to express the deepest truths that cannot be expressed or, or described otherwise. It can be uh, analogically understood as something what we can see in the po uh, po uh, poetry. I mean, a poet can express the reality of love in a so incomparably deeper way than a biologist. The way how a biologist or phys physicist describes love and the way how a poet describes love it's so dif different, um, like two different world, worlds. However, the way how Poe describes it, it conveys as much in a much deeper uh, way the sense of this reality, even though the scientific description is, is missing. So this is the, the sense of myth as Tolkien understood it and used it in his fantasy. I love that comparison and really the clarity it brings. I mean, Tolkien was so wise in his crossover between the realm of fantasy and imagination and bringing it to real life and ultimately conversion. He's saying, no, this is reality. It's not just looking at a beautiful make-believe life. And I think that that's why it's so prominent when you hear even the actors who were involved in the Lord of the Rings series. You know, you have the Peter Jackson's film trilogy and you have people such as Viggo Mortensen, who's the actor that played Aragorn. You mentioned this in the preface to your book and someone asks him, why is the Lord of the Rings so popular? And he replied, because it is a true story. Can you speak to that? Yeah, uh, uh, of course, he meant not the truth, like historical truth or scientific truth or linguistic or, or some other truth. It meant this truth of sense. Um which is conveyed by, by fantasy, by the story itself, and that the human heart desires uh, and longs for. It is the truth uh, of, of um, beauty. It is communication of something that people feel and recognize as important for their own lives. So basically, it's, it's, the, it's the truth of meaningfulness, of, of, of what we are to suffer, of what we are to live, to sacrifice, and to enjoy in this, in this life and in this world. We'll be right back with Father Francis of the Child Jesus talking about the theological landscape of Middle Earth. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T I M M E R I E.
You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. This is totally a moment for me to geek out with you. I love the realm of fantasy books from Tolkien and David Eddings, you name it. Uh, it has had such a profound impact for me on my faith. And we've been talking with my guest today, who is the author of a new book that I highly recommend, The Theological Landscape of Middle Earth. He is Father Francis of the Child Jesus. And please, you don't want to go away because a little later in the show, we're going to be talking about his conversion story. He's a priest who grew up in Lithuania, had a major conversion after living under Soviet rule and being involved in the Baltic chain. And he is currently um, received a special permission as he's becoming a hermit and really pulling away from the world. We'll be talking about that a little later on. But Father, I'd like to talk about the theological message that was so prominent in the Lord of the Rings series by Tolkien. Can you share that with us? Sure. So as Tolkien's fantasy was not a creation in itself, having its own end in itself, but actually was conveying something that Tolkien lived in his uh, daily uh, faithful life of a practicing and fervent Catholic, of course, even unconsciously, it shined through his creation to everyone who would read his creation his novels. So the Lord of Rings also contains this uh, theological message. There's first of all this, I would say, like general uh, theological message, which was very well uh, put into words by Craig Berntel in his book, Tolkien's Sacramental Vision, um, and quoting from that book in my my book, and I'll I'd like to read this passage. It really explains very well what it means, what I mean by this theological message in the Lord of Rings. So Berntel says in his book, to read and reread Tolkien with pleasure, to experience the world with Tolkien's sense of wonder and holiness is to be Christianized. Perhaps without knowing it, to be invited into the presence of a beauty beyond the circles of the world. That was a quote from Tolkien's own expression. It is to fall in love with a meaningful universe that has a beginning and end, where good and bad are not subjective choices, but objective realities. A world which is full of grace, though damaged by sin, in which friendship is a seedbed of the virtues, and hard-earned virtue, culminating in self-sacrificing love, is recognized as the highest human achievement. It is a world where the worst are forgiven again and again, even if they do not accept that forgiveness, and where the humble of spirit find within themselves great resources and do great things. It is a world invested in the providential care of the one Creator, who brings goodness and beauty out of evil, in which catastrophe does not always happen, but can happen, and where the greatest warriors finally become the greatest healers. The world of Tolkien's secondary creation is God's story, reinscribed as a history before our records of history reflecting the Logos as does the universe and all that is in it, including history, myth, fairy tale, and secondary myth, since everything in existence, even talking sub-creation, is the primary artist in inscription. This is the end of the quote of Berntel about uh, the meaning of 
of Tolkien's The Lord of Rings. So this is like a general uh, theological um, uh, meaning. Uh, now, in particular, I think we need to um, realize that uh, Tolkien, who uh, avowed himself that he cordially disliked allegory, did not intend to write an allegorical story about Christ, like C.S. Lewis did, for example, in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, with a uh, lion Aslan. Uh, you need to be really blind and stupid not to realize that lion Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia means Christ. It's so obvious. But if we look for Christ's figure in the Lord of the Rings, we will not find one. Actually, we will find a lot of fragments which conveys something of the mystery of Christ. And this, in this way, it's much uh, deeper uh, and uh, meaningful way to, to relate the mystery of God, because you cannot express the entire mystery of God in just one symbol. Let it be biblical, like lion. Lion um, in the Chronicles of Narnia is a biblical symbol, because um, that's how the Messiah uh, is described as the uh, Lion of Judah. Now, this different point, different um, aspects of Christ's mystery in the Lord of Rings um, uh, is conveyed by different um, characters. Frodo uh, is conveying the mystery of Christ as the one who uh, carries the burdens of, of, this, of the sin of the world. Gandalf is an expression of, of Christ as the one who leads the fellowship of the ring, which can mean uh, the church. Uh, who who is wise, the wisdom incarnated, uh, and that is Christ, and, and who gives actually his life uh, for the fellowship and comes back again in, in the kind of resurrection uh, as a white Gandalf. We have King Aragorn, the true king, coming um, after long centuries of waiting in, in the kingdom of Gondor. It is a, a symbol of, of Christ the king. Even Sam, the servant of Frodo is uh, has something of, of this mystery of Christ when he carries Frodo himself on Frodo cannot uh, bear any more that one ring just as uh, Jesus does us when we are totally um, crushed under uh, the weight of our own cross he takes us upon him and carries us as a servant and so all these particular Characters, they constitute them like a mosaic, which conveys a much more authentic image, resemblance, icon of God, of, of Lord Jesus Christ, than just one allegorical figure, let it be a biblical one. My guest today is Father Francis of the Child Jesus, the author of the newly released book, The Theological Landscape of Middle Earth. You can find links to the book in the show notes. You can head to radiotrending.com to also learn more about my guest today. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Father, as you're talking about this, I see how this theme is tied into each of the characters in Lord of the Rings, where you talked about how for Tolkien, this isn't just something he created with the end goal being this fabulous Middle Earth world, but you said this is what he lived. And you talked about how it was to be Christianized, essentially, is the story of the various characters. Can you talk about kind of this model that we see reverberating throughout the story of virtuosity, essentially, 
joy and really holiness as the ultimate escape from the ugliness of sin and how this is something we see when there's this battle of good versus evil, light versus dark. I guess the first thing to understand is that virtue and holiness, they are beautiful. The beauty is not only a physical beauty we can see in, in the universe and the beautiful landscapes or when we see beautiful people or beautiful animals. Beauty can be also moral, like a beautiful act, which is morally good act. And it can be also a spiritual beauty, like the beauty of a virtue, beauty of wholeness, and ultimately beauty of God himself, who is the the, the highest expression of, of this crossroads of truth and goodness, which beauty actually is. And so virtue and holiness is this beauty, uh, like light of beauty, uh, shining in the midst of the darkness, uh, of ugliness of sin. And just as St. John writes in his prologue in his Gospel that uh, darkness could not overcome light, so sin, ugliness of sin, so as you say, the moral ugliness cannot overcome this spiritual beauty of of virtue and holiness, not only cannot it overcome, but by means of the spiritual, moral beauty of virtue and holiness, we are able to escape from the prison of this uh, sinful ugliness that we very often surrounded, unfortunately, in the culture of nowadays. And this is the point of the creation of Tolkien of his fantasy, uh, including in his own analysis, um, in his... Um, uh, article on fairy stories that I also analyze a little bit in my book. Wow, Father Francis is a child Jesus. When we were looking at this, it's been a theme on the show recently here on Trending of kind of character development and building a virtue ethic within ourselves. And we have also been talking about this theme of seeking to escape the world and how unfortunately some people choose television, books, various hobbies, not just to rest and recover, but to actually escape and turn away from everything and almost lose yourself. But in true fantasy and the fantasy of the Lord of the Rings, you're talking about a virtue that comes forth in the characters that leads this escape. This escape is ultimately what you're saying is to help liberate you from sin in the darkness of the culture and evil. Like this is actually calling for the transformation of the human person who's reading the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just a confirmation of Tolkien himself uh, analyzed as fantasies of effects, a recovery, escape, and consolation. Now, recover presupposes an illness, and that's uh, what he actually saw in our, as he described, aging and despairing world. Our world is aging and despairing, losing its energy, losing its fitness, which comes actually from hope and perception of meaningfulness of our life. And so from this sickness, uh, Tolkien saw uh, only one remedy, this fantasy which brings back the inspiration to a heroic quest, a heroic deed in our daily lives. And, and this is actually, um, there is correspondence in theology which is salvation, salvation from, mm. from sin. He talked about escape, uh, escape not from this real world as his critics would reproach, but escape from this prison of what we call real uh, life, but actually it's not real life at all, but we are imprisoned. 
You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Wow, I am loving this. I'm with Father Francis of the Child Jesus. He is a religious with the Order of St. John, and we are talking about his book, The Theological Landscape of Middle Earth, and Goodness, there is so much to come still with the fact that this is one of his last kind of public vocal um, really circumstances because at the end of this, he's turning to become a hermit and really stepping away from the world. We'll also get into his conversion story. He's a Lithuanian priest. Father, you were talking about this idea of escape in the fantasy world and how escape isn't to just escape and kind of forget about everything, but this escape of the fantasy world is to a call to conversion to help you escape your own prison of what you're battling. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Um, so actually, this escape is one of the characteristics of fantasy that Tolkien himself um, analyzed in his article on fairy stories. Uh, he was talking about um, recovery as fantasy's effect, uh, escape and consolation. So I spoke about recovery already. The escape, I mentioned that it is like as, uh, not uh, like being, uh, like deserting an army where you're supposed to defend your country and your uh, homeland, uh, no, it is like an escape from a prison where you're imprisoned. And there we can see the connection with this um, myth of cavern in Plato's Republic. We, we have also an escape from, from this unreal world into the reality. The guy who escapes, he actually comes back uh, to his fellow prisoners to explain that what they are seeing is it's not a real world. There's a reality beyond it. That's what Tolkien used to call the joy, joy beyond the walls of the world. And this fantasy is like a vehicle bringing you out of what is only visible to the eyes so that we may be able to see what is visible also to heart, as St. Exupéry used to, used to say, I mean, especially his little prince, his uh, tale, or also highly symbolic of the little prince. Mm. And then, and then the last point is the consolation, the consolation that after having perceived the reality which, is, which lies beyond what eyes can see, and which gives this meaning and, and joy to our heart, that cannot be found in, in this in this world. This consolation coincides also with uh, with this theological reality, which is also called a consolation, consolation of the Holy Spirit in spiritual theology. And if we have ever, and I'm sure those who have read the uh, fantasy like Tolkien say. Uh, certainly experienced this joy of consolation, of uh, the victory of good over evil, of uh, the victory of um, uh, virtue o over uh, meanness and, and uh, uh, ugliness. Uh, this, this uh, we can uh, recall, for example, um, the other movie of uh, Sir Peter Jackson, The Hobbit, uh, and I think especially of this. Um, 
character who who was really very well played by the actor um, who was the servant of uh, the Lake Town uh, master. He he really incarnates this ugliness of of greediness and and selfishness. And then we we can see all uh, the other heroes characters who who are beautiful with, with this moral beauty. And this consoles us in, in our own daily life when we also have to choose between greediness and selflessness, uh, between uh, selfishness and, and self-sacrifice for others. Wow. My guest today is Father Francis of the Child Jesus. And I'm sorry, I'm just in amazement. I probably said wow five times during the interview because I love diving into the powerful stories that have really changed a generation. And I mean, just looking at the story of Tolkien in his own life, this escape into fantasy is no escape at all, but it's an escape from the prison of our own monotony of, as you mentioned earlier, routine, sin, kind of those things we think that are unavoidably unavoidable to change, but in fact can change. And in fantasy, through the good versus evil, that hope that ends up resounding within our own lives. I can't help but hear your story. And you're listening to Trending with Timurine. As I'm listening to the story of this book on Middle Earth and the world of Tolkien, it reminds me of your own testimony, Father, that you shared with me of having grown up in Lithuania at a time where religion was not allowed and how under that Soviet rule that you were surrounded by and through the story of being involved in the Baltic chain, your life completely transformed. Can you kind of start at the beginning of your upbringing as a young boy and how you it led you to where you are today? Sure, it's a long story, but I'll try to make it short. Uh, so I was born in Lithuania in 1972 uh, at a time where Brezhnev uh, was the um, general secretary of the Communist Party in the Soviet Union. So it, it, these were these uh, times of what uh, historians now call stagnation. Um, so I actually was uh, grown up by my grandparents in a farm hidden in the midst of the forest, and my grandma was very uh, devoted Catholic um, lady, and she transmitted me this beautiful faith. I still remember that I was praying as a child as I have never retrieved this purity and trust uh, in prayer as I had as a child. Uh, but when I had to begin the school, uh, my parents were working in, in the town, so they took me with them. They were not practicing anymore. I began the Soviet school in just a few months of Soviet atheist school. My beautiful childish faith just disappeared because uh, they were this like constant brainwashing, um, like atheistic brainwashing. Uh, for example, I still remember a teacher of mathematics would write a formula on the blackboard and would say, this is a proof that God does not exist. We uh, kids, we did not understand why, but the teacher said so, so it must be so. Or another like major argument was that Yuri Gagarin, the f first cosmonaut to, to fly into space, he was in, the sp in space and he did not see any God up there, so God does not exist. Or in the classes of history, they would say that Jesus Christ never existed. It's just simply um, a figure that... Um, hopeless Roman slaves invented for themselves to console themselves in this hopeless situation that they were in. And without or even mentioning, of course, the bio, uh, biology classes were, um, it was, 
the only possible explanation of a man's appearance in in this world was the evolution from from an ape uh, without any consideration of spiritual um, principle in in the human being. So all these um, just wiped away my my this, my childish faith, and and it took a long time. The seeds of faith they were still sown in me by baptism. We we believe that baptism conveys faith, hope, and love, and it it was still there in my heart through all these years of Soviet school. Um, and I, I do remember moments when, when I was in such a despair, seeing around me what um, President Reagan used to call an empire of evil, and it really was an empire of lie, uh, of suspicion. And I remember these moments when I was in kind of despair, and I, I was praying, God, if you exist, please hear me and make me happy. I cannot... I cannot bear to be so unhappy anymore. And it looked like nothing happened, but actually at the end, God uh, heard my, my prayer, as all of our prayers are heard by God, but not necessarily when we want and in and, and the way we want. And at the age of 17, and it was 1989, uh, the, just the um, eve of, of Lithuanian independence, which was proclaimed in 1990, I experienced this this uh, deep uh, uh, turmoil in my heart, which which ended with the realization that, hey, it must not be only what we can see. Uh, what if this uh, something or rather someone um, beyond the darkness of death? And that's how um, my journey started. Father Francis, I remember you sharing that along this journey, there ended up being one particular teacher who you didn't know was Catholic, but had been actually sowing seeds of truth in you in that truth. You couldn't help but continue to seek after. Can you share about her? Yeah, actually, like I mentioned, it was uh, the last year before the independence in 89. It was my last year of the high school. I was in the graduating school uh, class. And our the principal of our school, it was a huge school, 1,500 children in it, um, she invited an underground uh, clandestine nun to be a catechist uh, teacher for only selected uh, pupils from, from upper classes, from graduate classes. We were maybe uh, eight or ten um, coming after the classes, and we used to gather in this comfortable room uh, with the red flags and, and the images of Lenin. And I remember uh, as a kid, it was such an exciting feeling to, to do something illegal, you know, in this place where in the morning they were speaking, uh, talking about uh, like communist um, ideology and after classes in the same place we were talking about God. It was it, it was an extremely interesting interesting experience for me because um, you know, the teens they like what is dangerous and this was still dangerous at that time. 
<laughs> we're going to come back about how that danger and really the story of truth, how it rained for you and led you to be involved in the Baltic chain and how your conversion story continued to play out and eventually lead you in the community into the community of St. John and just, you know, days away from kind of this silence in your own life of living as a hermit up in the hills in Denver. We'll be coming right back with Father Francis of the Child Jesus. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. A shout out if you're listening on Spirit Catholic Radio Network, on the podcast, wherever it might be, do not miss an episode of Trending. I've heard back from listeners day in and day out sharing that you are being equipped to respond to some of the most difficult issues of our time, whether it be the transgender ideology that is wreaking havoc and confusion among the young and even adults, to the issue of abortion. And today we're diving into the area of fantasy. If you missed the story. My guest today is Father Francis of the Child Jesus, and we've been talking about his book, The Theological Landscape of Middle Earth. And now we're actually talking about his own story, about how he lived under Soviet rule, grew up going to Soviet schools, and how the little bit of faith he had was destroyed. And soon we'll get to his involvement in the Baltic chain. But as a young teenager, his teacher in school invited you, Father, to essentially end up attending extra classes in the same really area where the Soviet ideology was being communicated and really indoctrinated in you, you started learning about God and these clandestine meetings. And from there, this teacher who all she did was invite you ended up giving you a book that changed your life. Yeah, it was a um, forbidden book at that time. It was printed underground, like made copies, ha- uh, handmade copies. So it was such a precious and dangerous thing to hold in, in your hands. It was a book written by a Lithuanian philosopher, uh, Antanas Maxeina, uh, who was active in Lithuanian University before the Second World War, and then he fled the communism into the United States, and he died in the 80s here in, in the States. So his book, The Canticle of Sun, was about uh, St. Francis. And it was the first time, actually, I realized that it is possible to talk about faith in such an intelligent way, because uh, we always were uh, told in the Soviet school that religion is just a fairy tales of old ladies who know nothing. And, and it was the like, first uh, discovery how intelligent faith can be. And uh, by the same time, when, uh, this book actually brought me to the like final maturity of my faith, faith and, and, and decision to make the first communion, receive the confirmation to make my first uh, confession, which um, happened on August 27th, 1989. It's the day of St. Monica. I, I learned this only years after. It was also uh, obvious for me that it was providential. And uh, just a week before, on August 23rd, um, I had this historical chance to uh, to share with my compatriots in what is called a Baltic chain on people uh, from uh, uh, one uh, Baltic state 
capital in Tallinn, Estonia, through Riga in Latvia to Vilnius and Lithuania. All these three Baltic state capitals were connected by people joining their hands. Uh, over two million people went out to demonstrate to, uh, to Soviet Union and Mr. Gorbachev that we want historical truth. We want our freedom back because on this day, August 23rd, the foreign ministers of Hitler and Stalin um, signed um, a treaty between Nazi uh, Germany and Soviet Union with the secret protocols in which, in which they uh, shared the map of Eastern Europe and, and doomed our countries to Soviet slavery. The success of this Baltic chain was really such an amazing thing, probably one of the greatest things I've experienced in my life, because you could touch, actually, you could feel this uh, brotherhood of people. Um, I remember uh, we couldn't even even fit into the line which where, where the Baltic chain was supposed to go, so they, they formed even another branch, coming to Kaunas, the, the second city of, of Lithuania, just to accommodate that all the people might stand in this chain. And and people were just like in one big uh, family, uh, such a fraternity I've never, ever experienced um, ever again afterwards in my co- country or uh, anywhere else. Uh, you, you, can, you could really see how the desire for freedom, for truth, can unite and open human hearts in, in a way which really tasted, I would say, and smelled of the kingdom of God. This Baltic chain really demonstration of the people saying we want truth, we want freedom led to the ripple effect of liberation starting throughout Eastern Europe from Soviet rule. Can you talk a little bit more to the historical side of this? Until this event, uh, Gorbachev and then the Soviet Communist Party they just thought that it, uh, the uh, Baltic states' claim for freedom was just a political question of, of some of intellectuals of, of these countries. But actually, they were able to see with their own eyes, uh, with their own eyes, that the nation, the people itself, the people wanted this freedom. It was not just a political um, uh, play and not, not uh, like political uh, ideologies or, or whatever. It was really the desire of, of, of people. And maybe some of our listeners know that this summer, at the same date, August 23rd, in Hong Kong, where people also manifest for their freedom, they uh, repeated the same uh, event as we did in in Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia 30 years ago, they also made a chain in Hong Kong to manifest to China, Chinese communist government that they want their freedom. I pray that we see liberation for the people there in China and for the freedom of religion and truth to reign and really the liberation of women and men and children from the dictatorship that is just absolutely destructive, destroying human life, leading to suicide. You know, you are truly an inspiration of a courage and truth. You know, I know we talked about it. Part of your story is just this joy and excitement and slightly doing something illegal, but at the same time, your involvement and it helped to liberate all of Eastern Europe there. And how old were you when you participated in the Baltic chain? 
I was 17 at that time. Oh, wow. I was 17, so it's it's really the the time where where you can still see the, the life in in the most beautiful and, and expressive colors. I would say, if I dare say, in this poetical way. This is such a leap of courage for such a young man who's recently gone through a conversion to Catholicism, is living essentially as an underground Catholic, participating in reading contraband books and clandestine meetings with other people of faith. And it all started with an invitation of one teacher who saw something in you that sought truth. You know, I look at that leap of faith of you as a 17 year old boy being willing to speak up for truth, freedom, faith. And then I see yet again your own story taking a twist into a new courageous jump, which we'll get to in just a second. For those who are just joining us, my guest today is Father Francis of the Child Jesus, a member of the community of St. John. And you can find more about him and links to his new book, The Theological Landscape of Middle Earth, at radiotrending.com underneath the show notes and on my guest page. But Father, you're about to make a new leap into something that many people have a hard time understanding. You've actually received permission from your order to live as a hermit, taking care of the Regina Chaley Hermitage uh, by yourself there. Yes, it is also a long story and it will have to make it short. But uh, this calling to the hermitical life actually began uh, over 20 years ago when I was still a novice. Because in our community, the novices during the novitiate time, they have to spend two months in what we call a desert place for a desert time. And and there um, we had the first experience of living in a hermitage. For me, it was just the first three days. But these three days gave already such an incredible experience of God's intimacy in silent prayer and in solitude that ever since I wanted and asked my authorities to to give me the permission to live as a hermit. And 20 years later, I actually was given one year of of such an experience in French Alps. And this one, you just confirmed that I really want to go further. And now, almost seven years later, I'm finally given this permission of three years for a discernment. And if it is confirmed that hopefully I'll go to the end. Wow, it's one of those stories, you know, we hear about religious sisters who are cloistered and it's hard to understand how someone would walk away from the world and kind of in some of your parting words, because after this, for the next three years, you will, other than really encountering the people there who visit the retreat house, you won't be living as public of a life anymore. What are your parting words for those who have a hard time understanding this deep intimacy of prayer that you're entering into? I think uh, what is really important to understand that it's it's not something that I decided to do. A man cannot live this kind of life by himself. It is a calling of God, and it is a grace of God. And again, it's not an escape from the world. It's not a deserting the world. On the contrary, the first hermit, and actually if we look into the history of the Church, the hermitism was the first form of consecrated life from which monasticism and religious life in general uh, evolved. If we read, if we read in the, uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we will see that the very first form of consecrated life mentioned there is hermetical life, and then only all the other forms of religious life, of consecrated life. Uh, so it is something where actually you go out in the first front 
of, of spiritual battle. It's not at all retreating out uh, of the world. It is standing there day, day and night for the world. And probably that's what we need the most nowadays for the world is these spiritual warriors because we see in what the apocalyptic battle the entire world is engaged today. Praise God, Father. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 